Welcome to the Victorian Parent Council VPC Parent Podcast Series. VPC is a registered charity organisation dedicated to everyone who support parents in educating their children. I'm Jackie Vanderbilt, your host today. Our guest today is Ruth Fordyce. Ruth is a registered psychologist at the Resilience Centre in Epping in Sydney. She has many years of experience working with adolescents and primary age children and their families, and her particular area of interest is ways of building up resilience to deal with issues like anxiety, bullying, social skills, self-esteem, depression, and family dynamics. Welcome, Ruth. Thanks so much, Jackie. It's great to be here. Um, Ruth, what is anxiety, what is normal, and what is abnormal? So anxiety is one of the core emotions that all humans experience. Um, It's actually a helpful emotion in many ways. Um, It cues us into situations that can be risky or dangerous for us um, to get us to a safer place. But it's also quite a helpful emotion when we um, realise that we've got a goal that we want to work towards and we've got a chance that we might not reach it. So, for example, um, if we were to suddenly realise, oh, I've got a deadline Uh, coming up in a few days that I totally forgot about, I've got a piece of work that I've got to complete. That's very normal. We're going to feel anxious about that. And that's a helpful emotion in motivating us, in helping us realise there's something important to me that I'm possibly not going to achieve. I need to put in some energy and some effort to get that thing done. So sometimes people find anxiety has a lot of energy associated with it, that sort of nervous energy. And that energy can actually be really helpful if we can channel it into Um, actually working towards achieving the goal that's important to us. So now that question about, you know, what's normal and what's abnormal, that's a really great question. Um, I think of anxiety as very much a spectrum. Um, So we might hear those labels normal and abnormal and that makes us think, well, there's two categories, you know, am I normal or am I abnormal? But if you think of anxiety as actually like a spectrum where at one end we've got a very, very calm person who really is, is calm about most things in their life most of the time. And at the other end of the spectrum, we have someone who's really anxious. So they're very anxious about most things in their life most of the time. Um, we all fall somewhere on that spectrum. And so I like to help people think about whether their anxiety levels are manageable or whether they're starting to be disruptive and starting to interfere with their daily life and whether they can achieve their goals in life. So people are all going to experience anxiety at some times, some points in their life, but for many people, it's a manageable level. They feel a bit worried about certain things, but like I said before, that might actually motivate them to do something about those things, or they just learn to, you know, to push through that. It's quite manageable. Um, Whereas what we can see as we go a bit further up the spectrum is that some people start to find that their anxiety levels are actually interfering with daily life. So maybe to give a couple of examples of how that might look, you know, in children for parents. So a lot of children might find if they're feeling a bit worried about something, often it comes to mind at night. When you put them in bed, you think that's it, we're done for the day. And then all of a sudden, those little worries come bubbling out about what's been happening in the day or what's on the the next day. Um, Now, that's quite common. And a lot of kids might find that, you know, that happens occasionally. Um, and that having a bit of a chat with mum or dad about it, um, talking it through, and then they're able to unwind and go to sleep. Um, Whereas for some kids, you might notice that that is starting to happen nearly every night. 
So that's starting to become disruptive because it's really hard to unwind and get to sleep. Or it might be that that, that chat might go on and on, you know, or they might be lying there tossing and turning and, and it's an hour or two before they can get to sleep. So you can see the difference there that, that that's really becoming quite disruptive and unhelpful because they're not going to get enough sleep. Um, another example might be that, you know, it's quite common for most children to have days when something's coming up at school that day they're feeling worried about and so there might be those preschool jitters, you know, they're talking about nerves in the tummy they might even say they're feeling a bit sick but your sense is actually they're a bit nervous about what's going to happen and again that might only happen occasionally you might be able to talk them through it so you're going to be okay get them you know a little bit motivated and they take a deep breath and in they go and they do it even though they're feeling a bit nervous other kids and that's entirely normal Absolutely. And we all have to experience that, that feeling of being nervous, but saying, okay, I've got to get in there and get through it. Um, I'll, I'll be okay, even though it's going to be hard. Um, again, moving further up the spectrum, we're going to see some children who find that that happens more and more for them. Right. So it might be, be that, that that actually becomes quite a common experience, that they're extremely nervous before most days of school um, and up to the point where sometimes parents are finding their child is so distraught they're, they're refusing, they don't want to go, they don't want to separate, you know, at the school gate and, and all that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so, again, that's where it's starting to become disruptive because that's really distressing for both parent and child of how to actually get them to school um, and get them participating in their day. Okay. So... Over the test period for NAPLAN, because yes. they would be aware uh, there's a lot of, you know, pre-prep, some preparation going on in the lead yes. up. Uh, you know, the, the teachers would be doing uh, perhaps some test samples with them to get them used to that process. Uh, there'd be talk about the NAPLAN tests and, and the days that it's on, it's not going to be a normal timetable yes. day. It's going to be yes. different. So we would expect to see uh, our children being a little more anxious on these days. Okay. Absolutely. Yes, that's right. That is normal because particularly for those younger children, I mean, you're thinking of the year threes who've never done this before. Um, All of us, including us as adults, you know, when we're, we're approaching something that we've never experienced before and we're aware that there is a sense in which people want us to do well in it. Yes. You know, so it's unknown to me, but I'm being told that, you know, it would be really good if I could do well in this. The more that that pressure is increased, the more likely children are to feel anxious because there's a bit of uncertainty around will I have what it takes? Do I, I don't even know what this testing is like. I've never done it before, but I know people want me to do well on it if I can. Um, so that's very normal and that's something to keep in mind for the parents of the, of the youngest ones in the year three sort of age group is just helping kids understand that everyone feels nervous when we're doing something we've never done before for the first time and it's a matter of just finding out what it's like and giving it a go and having your best shot at it mm-hmm. and that you'll actually learn some information for the next time. Yeah. Um, with your older kids, you've got the opposite situation, which is some of them will be nervous because they've done it before oh. <laughs> and they knew that, you know, they found things about it hard and so on. But, but yeah, so there's a, there's a little bit of a mix there. But, yeah, you're right. Sometimes the all the talk surrounding it can make children feel more anxious. So, Ruth, um, knowing that we've got four you know, year group year groups that do this, and and yeah. of course, children change from, you know, from their year three, mm. you know, eight year old, nine year old self, and then they yeah. become the ten and twelve year old self, and the twelve and thirteen year old self, and then the fourteen yeah. and fifteen year old. 
what can parents do uh, to assist with that uh, that period of time, the lead up and the, the actual exam, you know, the, the NAPLAN test period? Uh, what can parents do to assist with children who might be feeling a little bit more anxious, which we've established is normal? Yeah. What can they do to assist yep. smooth passage through this period of time? Yeah. Okay, lots of ideas. <laughs> um, and as I talk through them, I'll um, mention a few places that people can look to, to get a bit more information too. Um, but firstly, I think whenever we're thinking about our children's anxiety, it's really important for parents to, to think about how their own anxiety levels are going. Um, anxiety tends to run in families. It's related to our temperament. And a lot of parents will find if they, they look honestly inside themselves that they might have been quite similar as a child and that they, in fact, might find they still get a bit anxious sometimes. And so part of what will be going on is parents sometimes having their own anxiety around their child doing that plan and what's that going to mean and if their child does well or doesn't do well, what does that mean about them as a parent and so on. And, again, all of that's really normal. Lots of parents experience that anxiety about how their child is performing. But I think it's just really helpful to be mindful of that and to really check in because one of the things that we want to do for our children when they're feeling a bit anxious is we want to be able to model coping and calm. So even if we're feeling our own anxiety, making sure that we're finding ways to, to manage that and to be a calm presence for our children um, is really helpful. And, in fact, it's okay to talk to your kids about what you do when you're anxious. It's really helpful for kids to know that sometimes you get a bit worried and you might um, imagine things are going to go badly, but you remind yourself of the fact that you have done these things before and you take some deep breaths and you get in there and do it and then you discover it wasn't as bad as you thought it was going to be. That sort of um, narrative is really helpful for kids to get a window into. But obviously that implies, I mean, by saying that, I'm implying that a parent has done that. They have worked on those strategies and they know how to coach themselves through anxious moments. So if parents are listening to this and thinking, oh, I'm not very good at coaching myself through anxious moments, I just tend to avoid them then that's something parents can actually work on for themselves. Say, okay, I need to step up a little bit too in my skills of working through anxiety and then I can help teach that to my kids. Mm -hmm. um, so that's an important one I think to be aware of. Self-check, how am I going? Am I feeling anxious about my child doing that plan? How can I coach myself through that a bit? Um, secondly, I just quickly want to talk about some really basic building blocks that parents are probably really aware of, but I think it's worth being mindful of these, is that anxiety has quite a bodily component, um, so its, its symptoms are quite physical. Um, and so things like getting enough rest, getting outside and getting exercise and fresh air, allowing the brain to actually have a break from all that cognitive, mental sort of thinking that kids are doing at school and anxious kids in particular are very in their head they're thinking 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 all the time so making sure that they get outside that they have a bit of a break that they have some fun activities or hobbies or sports that they do is really helpful just for managing some of those physical symptoms and the other thing that can be really worthwhile for parents to have a look at is um, if they're finding they've got a little one who really gets quite physically stressed um, or a teenager where they're seeing like you know quite signs of physical stress is being aware of things like relaxation and yoga and mindfulness, meditation, all these sorts of activities that are now 
very well known and very well researched as tools that really help us manage anxiety and stress. Um, and a couple that I'll mention, and we can put some links to these, Jackie, so that people can go and find them. Um, for example, if you want something fun for your younger kids to go and have a look at, there's um, a YouTube channel called Cosmic Yoga that is aimed completely at children. That's lots of fun, but it's teaching kids how to do yoga. So really helpful to get them into their body. Um, and she's got some good little um, sort of relaxation and, and meditation tools on there as well. Um, and another app that's becoming really well known in Australia, a lot of schools are promoting it, is um, Smiling Mind which is a mindfulness meditation app and they've got different um, age categories in there as well. So it would span all of the age categories that we're talking about at the moment. Um, and I find that can be a really helpful one for teenagers to be able to download on their phone and it's something they can listen to if they need to unwind a little bit um, as they're going to sleep at night, maybe on the bus, on the way to school or the train, just having something that they can do that helps them to get out of that cycle of the anxious thinking and focusing on their breathing and things they can do to relax their physical state a little bit more. Um, so that's sort of the, the physical side of, of anxiety and things that can help with that. But obviously I really want to talk a little bit more about the sort of the mental or cognitive side of anxiety as well, which is all of that thinking, you know, those worries and anxious thoughts that, that parents will be really familiar with that, that's going on in their child. Um, so a few things that can help with that. Um, one of the things I wanted to talk about a little bit today, um, again, parents might have come across this because it's sort of growing in the, in the education sort of space, is um, Carol Dweck's work in helping um, us identify whether children have more of a growth mindset or more of a fixed mindset. So I'm sure, Jackie, you're really familiar um, with this work. Yes. <laughs> Lots of schools picking up on this. And I think a lot of parents are starting to realise how useful this is um, in terms of helping their child approaching their schooling. So what on earth is a growth mindset and a fixed mindset? So Carol Dweck is interested in what beliefs young people are developing about learning and about their abilities and their intelligence. And so what she found in her research was that some young people were developing a more fixed kind of mindset to their learning. And what she found was a fixed mindset was that kind of belief that you either have it or you don't. Either I'm smart or I'm dumb. Either I'm going to succeed in this test or I'm going to fail. So that sort of black and white kind of thinking where I'm, I, I see my capacities as fixed. Now, those kids, straight away you can see, those kids are going to be much more anxious about testing mm. because the testing is going to reveal to me whether I've got it or I don't. And there's not much optimism about what I do if I haven't done very well on the test. Now, the opposite to that is a growth mindset. And what Carol Dweck identified here was the type of person that approaches learning as a process and they see intelligence and capabilities as something that can be improved upon and hence the title growth mindset that my mindset is that my life is about growing and learning and improving and so each opportunity that I face is going to give me useful information sometimes I'm going to do well in an assignment or a test and that will be useful information to me about what I know and sometimes I'm going to make mistakes sometimes I'm going to do badly on a test and that will also be useful information because it will tell me in what ways I can grow further 
And so that person will approach testing quite differently. So I think um, what parents can really do is have a bit of a think about what, what they see emerging in their child. And many of us are, are mixed, I should say too, Jackie, that we don't all have fixed mindsets about everything in our life. So the parents might be even noticing, oh, my child actually has a real growth mindset when it comes to playing soccer, but they have a really fixed mindset about their maths and they just say, oh, I'm terrible at maths, I hate it. Mm. And at different times in life too. Yes, yes, yeah, through different experiences. The other thing that can happen is sometimes the experience of a different teacher can help children to break out of a fixed mindset because a teacher has that capacity to get them to see that there is opportunity for growth, that they can improve. Um, and a teacher who's really good at giving that kind of feedback can often help foster a change in mindset in a child. But parents can be really involved in this as well. So parents can have a bit of a think about how they talk to their child about their learning and their capabilities. And one of the things that we can do is really commend effort, notice effort that is put in, not just commending a result. Okay. So, so actually looking at how the child might have worked towards the goal, what things they did that were helpful, picking up on where there's been any improvement. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things that can happen with parents is that if we have a child who's not doing so well in a subject and we want them to be really achieving a lot better, um, we might have in our mind the mark that we want them to get to. But any improvement along the way is still a success that we can celebrate and we can get that child to reflect on how were you able to do that? What things helped you improve just a little bit? You know, you might have been able to go up a a reading level in your home readers or you might have been able to suddenly master a skill in maths that you couldn't do before. Um, Everything else in maths may still be a challenge, but, hey, you finally got that bit. How did you do that? Uh, Let's look at that and see that there's been improvement. Um, And that really helps build that growth mindset about believing that you can actually improve with effort. And the other really important element of this that parents can do is really encourage kids that making mistakes is normal. So a lot of anxious kids, one of the things they really fear is the feeling that I will fail And often what comes with that is the feeling that I'll be disappointed with myself or other people will be disappointed. So a lot of anxious kids leading up to NAPLAN will have this thought in their mind that either my teacher or mum and dad will be disappointed with me in in how I perform. Is that related to perfectionism or is that also it is or is it going to be something else all on its own as well? Um, there is a bit of a connection, I think, between that sort of fixed mindset and being perfectionist, absolutely, because it's that sense of a, for a perfectionist, if I don't get it perfect, then it's that the other category, not good enough, rather than that sense of being able to see that um, I'm working towards something, improvement is a great thing. I might not be all the way there yet, but I've actually learned and made progress and made improvement. If I'm heading towards my goal, I'm going in the right direction and I can keep gathering more information with each experience to get me where I want to go. So parents are really in a unique position in their relationship with their children to recognise those gains that may not be obvious to yeah. a teacher necessarily. Absolutely. Or, or, or yeah. someone else. Who yeah. yeah, and I think also parents, we're, we're the ones who are often there with kids in that vulnerable moment when they realise I haven't done as well on something as I wanted to or I've made a mistake or I've failed a test and they're dealing with that feeling of 
perhaps been disappointed in themselves and worried that someone else is disappointed in them. And I think we have incredible power in that moment to talk to our kids about the fact that failure and making mistakes is really normal. It's part of the human experience. It's just what we do with it that matters. If we use it as a learning opportunity and we say, well, what can we learn from that? How do we make it better? I think just a funny little analogy that can illustrate that, Jackie, um, the last time I went to Ikea, you know, the furniture shop Ikea, and they have signs up about they had the testing they do with their furniture. And I was looking at this sign they had of this thing that was a machine where it pounds up and down on the armchair, you know, a thousand times to make sure that, you know, the equivalent of my toddler jumping on the armchair, you know, it'll, it'll be safe. And I was thinking about, isn't that interesting, the use of the word testing? You know, when we test a piece of furniture, when we test a new product that someone has made, what is the purpose of that testing? You know, we don't expect that that testing will render that product to be perfect the first time around. The whole point of that testing is to say this product is new, we think it's probably going to have some flaws and some issues and we'll need to work out what they are. So we'll test it and we'll get really useful feedback from that and then we'll tweak the design and we'll modify it and we'll gradually keep working on getting better and better and better. So I think sometimes that's a really helpful reframe for kids. When they hear testing, if they're coming in that fixed mindset, they're going to think, oh, my goodness, this test is going to reveal whether I'm good enough or not. So I think if we can promote that kind of growth mindset, it's about saying, hey, this test is just going to give you some really valuable information about where you might already be strong and areas where you might want to grow. And that's really normal. We all have areas where we need to grow. So that's really great to find out that information and be able to keep working on that. Of course. And I think that that's, the, that's really at the heart of, of NAPLAN uh, is that uh, it is a diagnostic test. That's what it's mm. for. It's, it's there to highlight the areas where students are doing well mm. and, meeting, and meeting standard and, yep. and assisting and informing uh, yep. where, where some additional assistance might be needed. So yep. um, I think that's really important to keep that in yep. It works in beautifully with everything that you've been telling us so far. Yeah, yeah. and I think, um, again, you know, coming back to parents who can um, share a little bit of their own experiences with their kids, I think being able to demonstrate to your children that you're willing to do things where sometimes you might make mistakes. And I think particularly um, just thinking about, you know, the moving into the, the realm of your teenagers where you've got Year 7 and Year 9 students, I often say to parents, I think it's really great to do an activity with your kids that they're better at than you are. Um, which may well be, you know, um, you know, might be playing the computer games with them, actually jumping in there and saying, let me play that with you. Or it might be that they've got a hobby that you're not really that great at. You know, by the time they're in year seven or year nine, they might actually be playing a sport, you know, reasonably well, or maybe it's, um, you know, surfing or whatever it might be. But getting in there and having a crack at something and showing your kid, I'm not afraid to be in that space where I don't really know what I'm doing, I'm making mistakes and I'm trying to learn. And even it can be great if it's something that they are better at than you, that they can teach you and you can show them in practical terms what that looks like to have that growth mindset, to say, hey, I didn't fall off that time. (laughs) I'm still not really surfing, but I stood up, you know, or to say to them, I have no idea what I'm doing in this game, but I'm going to give it a go. And just showing them that, that you're okay with that. You know, it's okay to make mistakes. It's okay to, 
learn and be vulnerable in that space that's right that's right and for them to see that you know often we only learn by getting the feedback of what's not working as well as what is working again um just a few thoughts on you know wanting to not just you know counter anxiety but what actually helps foster confidence to sort of flip that anxiety around a little bit for the children who have had a little bit of experience um with NAPLAN or just with testing in general, you know, when when something's coming up that they're feeling anxious about, um, often it's really helpful to get kids to reflect on past experiences and get them to think about, well, you've done testing before, you know, even if it's, you know, you do spelling tests in class, you do, you know, the teachers are giving them those sorts of little tests all the time. Get them to have a think about what's worked for them. So what's actually worked for you? What have you noticed helps you to do better um, on a test? And it might be thinking about before the test, leading up to it, and maybe even during tests. What if you notice works for you? What helps you um, to do better on a test? And what hasn't worked? You know, and that, again, it's feeding that growth mindset, um, but just helping them get start to get a little bit of confidence around knowing themselves and knowing that simple things like, you know, I actually made enough time to study, um, that made a difference. And when I didn't make enough time to study, that didn't really work for me. Um, that, that seems obvious to us, but sometimes kids actually need to reflect on that and work that out for themselves of what works for them, Um, actually getting them to think about, you know, what things help them concentrate during a testing period. Um, But I think the more we can get them to work that out for themselves, the better. We often want to give advice about what should help, you know, make sure you go to bed early and all that sort of stuff. But actually I find kids are much more motivated if they've worked out for themselves what works and what doesn't. Fantastic. The other thing I thought I might just comment on quickly, Jackie, if that's okay, is if parents are aware that they really have a particularly worried child, you know, that I was mentioning that example of the child who's awake at night and turning things over in their head, um, you know, some strategies for that. And, and that might be the sort of child where parents might realise a bit of external help might be helpful, you know, going to see a psychologist or even just chatting with the school counsellor. Um, But for that child who you find is up late at night wanting to talk with you about all of their worries, a couple of thoughts on that. Firstly, I would encourage those families to make sure that there's a time for that child to have a think about what they're worried about earlier in the day. So rather than it all coming out at bedtime, um, carve out some time somewhere before the wind-down routine. So before the brushing the teeth and the jammies and, you know, whatever it is, whether they get to read in bed for a little while or whether they listen to some music or whatever it might be, before the wind-down, make sure somewhere in their day or their afternoon, early evening, there's an opportunity for them to actually think about what am I worried about? Am I worrying at the moment? What is it that's going through my mind? And depending on the child, some children will find it much more helpful to talk, to talk it out. So they'll want to seek you out or another important person in their life. For other children, it actually can be extremely helpful for them to write it down. Interesting. For some kids, it'll be a bit of both. But for them to have an opportunity to get a little bit of that stuff out of their head before they're trying to go to sleep. And what you can then do is help them sift through a little bit of um, what those thoughts are, whether there is something that they can action to help them solve that worry. 
And often for kids, then they can wind down and go to sleep much better if they know that, okay, here's something I can action about that and we're going to get onto that tomorrow. And now... Now this is my time where I actually need to wind down and sleep because sleep is also important to help me solve that worry. I need to be well rested enough so that tomorrow when we're going to take action about that, um, you know, I've got enough energy in the tank. Um, But sometimes kids are lying awake worried because there's something that's bugging them that they think, oh, what am I going to do about that? Moving that earlier in the day and helping them look at, okay, well, what is something that we could do that we could action about that? Um, But sometimes they're worried about something that you're thinking, well, I don't know that that is something we can necessarily action or they're worrying about something that you think, I don't know that that's even necessarily going to come true. So if I give an example of that, you know, you might be dealing with a child who's really actually quite bright, but they keep saying to you, oh, I'm really worried I'm going to fail. I'm going to fail this test. I'm going to do flunk out. I'm going to do really, really badly on my lap land. I'm going to freeze up and I won't be able to, you know, produce anything. And I think I may have had nightmares about that. Yes. I mean, it's actually quite common you know that people have that fear that even though I've done pretty well I've got this fear that I'm going to fail um so some really quick questions that parents can talk through with their child on that and these are the sorts of things that I'll often do in a session you know if I'm working with a child or working with a family um is to actually get them to think through what's this worst case scenario that you've got going through your head what are the chances of that actually happening you know let's look at the evidence What's happened to you in the past? What are the chances of that actually happening? And the child's starting to get a bit of a a sense where they've got to be a bit more flexible in their thinking. They've got to start thinking about, well, what else could happen? So you're really worried you're going to flunk out. Okay, what else could happen? You could do okay. You could do well. You know, what are some of the different... Okay, what are the chances of each of those things? You know, based on what you know, like what the evidence has been so far. And you can actually get the, the kid to do, you know, a little pie chart. You know, and actually say, okay, what, are the, what do you feel like are the chances of you doing okay? What are the chances of you doing well? What are the chances of you failing? You know, let's map it out. And, and see how much is, of their fear is actually matching up to reality, to what the evidence is. But I think one of the things we really often feel compelled to do, Jackie, is the child that's thinking, oh, but there is a chance I could fail. There's a chance, you know. We want to often say to them, no, there isn't. You'll be fine. But actually that doesn't usually work. No, it doesn't work. <laughs> Probably observed. Um, and interestingly, what often actually is more helpful, and this is I'm often doing this in sessions with these kinds of kids, is saying, well, I don't think there's a big chance of that happening because from what I can see the evidence is, you know, you, you've done okay in your tests before. You've, you've told me you've never actually completely failed a test, so that's interesting. You know, I get what you're saying, though. You feel still there's this fear that it could happen, that you could fail. So let's say it did. What if it actually happened? How would you get through that? How would you cope? What would we do if that were to actually happen? And amazingly enough, Jackie, what what kids then start to have to do is to face the thing they're most afraid of and start to realise that even if that thing happened, they would survive. They would get through it. And I think this is a really good reflection point for parents as well. Again, we're coming back to how anxious is, is mum, how anxious is dad. Mom dad is right. that mum and dad need to face that reality too, that if that worst-case scenario were to happen, um, would you actually be okay? Because if not, if you were to come down on your child like a tonne of bricks, then they've got reason to be anxious. 
<laughs> you're part of the problem. But actually, if, if you know that you would love your child no matter what, if you would still be incredibly proud that they got in there and had a crack at it, and if you would be willing to support them even if the teacher was disappointed with them, that, that's a really important conversation to have with that child, with that anxious child, to say, you know what, if the worst case happened, how would we get through it? We would. We would as a family. We would navigate that with you. Yes, you would feel sad and you would feel disappointed, but that's okay. It wouldn't last forever. We would get through it. We would learn from it. And, again, it links back to that growth mindset, doesn't it? We would learn from this together of what would be more helpful for you next time so that that doesn't happen again. So, so if I'm reading this correctly from what you're saying, the fear of it's, – it's almost fear of what the unknown would be around yes. – yeah, yeah, yeah. And often in, in the psychology world, we'll talk about this kind of strategy as a coping ahead strategy. Right. So when you've got that kind of brain that tends to tick over to the worst case scenario, sometimes once it's popped into your head, it's hard to shake. And people want to mean well and say to you, oh, that'll never happen, you know, it's okay. But sometimes for, for people who are anxious, it's actually more helpful to say, if my brain has already imagined up that worst case scenario, it's there now, why don't we practice coping ahead and say, well, what would you do? How would you get through that? Mm-hmm. And that really helps um, that alleviate that sense of panic around, <gasps> what if that would happen? Say, so, well, it's probably not a big chance that it's going to happen. But if it were to happen, this is what we would do to get through that. We would get there, we would work it through, and you will still be okay. I've got to qualify too that, you know, we've been talking in terms of failing and passing, but in actual fact the NAP plan is all around bands of performance. Yes, yes. But we, you know, as a society, we still sort of interpret, you know, results as being... Totally. Uh, yeah. on that path. Yeah, and a lot of the kids that I work with, there is that strong feeling that I failed because I didn't get into the band that, that they you know, I thought I should have or that is, you know, the average for my school or, you know, those sorts All of things. that sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's right. But thank you for qualifying that because, yeah. yeah that's I, I just sort of want people listening to this and going, oh, my goodness, is there a fail, fail point? Of no, no, no. Yeah, no. yeah. It's yeah. about the way in which we, um, you know, interpret this and, and of yes. course, messages that we're then giving to um, giving to our, our children or to the students in, the, in this case. Yeah, that's right. And actually a lot of the kids that I work with, you know, just not getting the top band is that feeling of, oh, I didn't do well enough, that I feel like a failure, you know, that sense of a failure that can come. Um, but, again, just teaching kids that at different times you won't hit the goal that you want and you feel disappointed. Of course you do, but that's a really normal human experience and we have to learn how to get through that. And, in fact, kids who are highly successful, some of the kids that I work with that end up going to selective schools, sometimes they haven't had enough experience of failure. So they're actually very anxious because they don't know how to cope with failure because they've never experienced it. No, it's only like sort of when they hit year 11, year 12 that they're starting to realise, oh, I don't always get 100% anymore. And you think, wow, you know, you haven't had that experience of getting a lower mark than what you hoped for. Um, That's actually a really important experience to have in life because as an adult, you know, if we want to go after goals that matter to us, there's a chance we won't hit them and we need to be ready and resilient to be able to cope with that feeling of disappointment and say, oh, well, I've got to learn from this. What can I learn that's going to help me next time? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. So we've talked about some really specific things, which has been really useful for parents. And I know that in a previous conversation we talked about some big picture items that, that yes, 
to be aware of as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So this is something that is a bit of a passion of mine because I think when I think about, um, you know, I'm a parent also, and when I think about um, kind of the the culture and the climate um, where I live in Sydney and where, you know, in a lot of the the big cities of Australia, um, I'm starting to see, I think, a real issue for a lot of parents that we find ourselves feeling a bit anxious about our kids because we live in in these sort of big fast-paced cities where it's almost like we're becoming a bit competitive you know there's this sense that there's a big population and it's busy and it's fast-paced and we want our kids to sort of fit in and and be successful and it's almost that that sense of you know um, I want my kids to be at the top of the heap, you know, that I, I want them to do well and, and how do I make sure that they're, that they're succeeding and, and going okay. And I think that we can really um, amp up our own anxiety and therefore our children's anxiety when these sorts of markers come along, like NAPLAN, that can cue us into, oh, am I doing a good enough job? Is my kid going okay? Are they going to succeed in life and in the world? Um, and I just wanted to say that I think, I think it's really important for parents to take a step back and remember that there are many, many pathways to success Um, and children are all different. You know, not all of them are going to um, dazzle on something like NAPLAN, um, but they can be successful in so many different ways. Um, And, yeah, just something I think parents should be really mindful of when they find themselves getting drawn into that sort of competitive space, that that actually can increase your own anxiety and therefore your child's anxiety and hamper their capacity to just focus on their own strengths, um, their own goals and the things that they're going to do well in in life, which might be different to the next child. Um, And one of the things I'm really aware of with that, Jackie, is... um, Social media, and you know what, we talk a lot about social media in our teenagers, but I actually just want to say that social media can be quite detrimental for parents too, I think, because a lot of parents are posting about their children's achievements and I'm so proud of Johnny because he did this and, um, and you know, just the pain that that can set off in terms of, oh, my goodness, is my kid doing okay? Am I doing a good enough job as a parent? And just being mindful of that I think is really helpful. Um, just not to buy into that, just to trust that there are many, many pathways to success and it is a process and you're not going to, to see all of that unfolding within the first, you know, sorts of um, testing opportunities. You see that as a long-term process of seeing your child unfold in their capabilities and their strengths. Absolutely. And I think too, I think what we, we're constantly losing sight of around NAPLAN is that NAPLAN is a diagnostic tool. It's there to show us uh, what our children are doing well in as Mm. a particular standard um, and to highlight the areas that need more assistance. It's Mm. not a um, Mm. senior's test. It's there as a diagnostic tool. Yeah, uh, yeah. How how are our children tracking um, some literacy and numeracy standards and and informing um, a a way forward in terms of uh, assisting them to get up to a standard. So I think, you know, with all of the league tables and the way in which, unfortunately, the uh, NAPLAN results are being used, um, not Mm. in the education area, but in other areas, it's it's certainly given a bit bit of a different spin on it and probably adds to the hype. Yeah. Yeah, and I think the other thing I'm conscious of is the pressure that then is created for schools and for teachers um, when when parents are very um, results-driven 
and, you know, really commenting on how children have performed in tests and so on and sort of losing sight of that more holistic view of what education is all about. And I think that's something I'm also quite passionate about is trying to encourage parents to be, you know, supportive and encouraging of teachers and of the school community and the school climate and really speaking into what they see that's working well for their children. Because, I mean, when do we make meetings to talk to the teachers when there's a problem? You know, that's what they get feedback about constantly. And the same with, you know, NAPLAN is a really great tool to be able to tell us, hey, where are the areas where we can do better, you know, where we can keep improving? I think that's great. But I think also as parents we can be really helpful if we actually feedback what's working you know, I mean, wouldn't that be amazing, Jackie, if we all took the time to write down a little note, you know, hey, talk to your kids and say, tell me three things your teacher's doing that's actually helping you learn. What do you love about your teacher? What do they do well? What's actually helped you improve this year? Wouldn't that be amazing if we all actually wrote that down and gave it to the teachers at, oh, at our schools? As an ex-chalky, I would have <laughs> loved that. <laughs> <laughs> because you just don't get that much, do you? Oh, that encouragement oh, about, you know, you know overall how your class is going. But, you know, That's for right. my child in particular, this is what they've loved about you and what's really worked for them, you know. Okay. And I think that kind of encouragement is just invaluable for oh, teachers to see yeah. that. Such a long more way than just relationships. Yeah, yeah, and it's more than just results on a page. You know, that education happens in that context of someone just noticing your child's abilities, encouraging them, helping them improve. And, and of course, there's so much more going on in the classroom than, than just the numeracy and the literacy as well. There's, there's a whole raft of, of life skills and, and, like we talked about before, mindsets even about learning that are being developed that our teachers are helping influence. Okay. So, yes, I'm quite passionate about that. We all need to encourage a teacher. <laughs> yeah, we do. Um, Ruth, um, so we're coming to, to the end of our conversation. Yes. But I think it would be um, really great if we could perhaps point to some resources that yes. um, would be helpful for parents. So yeah, absolutely. A lot of issues here today. Yeah. A lot of techniques. But I think maybe some point parents where they could go and have a look for some more information. Yeah, absolutely. So I mentioned before, you know, the our website, the yoga website and the Smiling Mind app, which we can put links for parents to go and have a look at. Um, the other thing that we can do is link to a couple of things that we have online available through the practice where I work in Sydney, the Resilience Centre. Um, there's a few things that we've done to try and resource parents um, that might be really helpful. For anyone who happens to be listening who's a local to us in Sydney, um, we're based in Epping and we actually run a group program specifically for 8 to 12-year-olds that really helps um, address anxiety and teaches optimistic thinking skills. Um, and that program's called Bright Thinking. Um, so if anyone's local to us in Sydney and they want to check that out, they're very welcome to. Um, but what we also developed to go along with that that might be really useful for parents listening anywhere is um, a parenting equivalent to that. So there's a, an online hot topic that we have um, that we, it's about an hour and 15 minutes, I think, in length. And um, I put that together just presenting to parents some tools of how to be aware of their own thinking, um, how to be more optimistic in their own thinking and how to skill their children up a little bit in that. And that's a video, is it, Ruth? Yes, it is. So people can um, register online for that and, and do that as, a, as an online video that they can access. Um, the other one that we've got on our website at the Resilience Centre that might be really helpful for people to go and check out is um, my colleague Sarah Pipe. I did one on emotion coaching 
which is a really useful tool as well for parents who've got anxious or quite emotionally, well, really for any any parent, um, but particularly those who are listening who are thinking, yep, I've got a little one who is quite emotionally sensitive um, and I need to help them a little bit with how to manage those feelings. There's got lots of practical suggestions in there of how to help your child name those emotions, talk about what they're feeling and then how to help them move into problem solving so that they can move out of the overwhelm of the emotion and then get into the, the problem solving. So that's they would be really worth checking out if parents are thinking they want to go and skill themselves up a little bit more. Um, and then lastly, I think just that the work of Carol Dweck that we talked about, the, the fixed mindset versus the growth mindset, um, just going and having a bit of a look at her work, if people think that's really relevant, um, they want to help promote a growth mindset in their child, there's a lot of great resources um, that they can go and have a look at. But just just reading a bit more about her work might be useful. Wonderful. Ruth, thank you so much for your time today. It's been a pleasure speaking with you. We're, Ruth, I've got, to, I've got to declare, Ruth and I know each other in a professional capacity as well. We do. So we, so we have uh, we have quite regular regular uh, discussions, but this has actually been a real treat for me because we don't often get to sit down and have these. Step, yes. That's right. Yeah, no, it's been absolutely lovely and I hope that um, all the parents out there find something of use, not only for their kids, but also for managing their own anxiety. That's wonderful, Ruth. Really appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Thank you to our guest speaker. We hope you enjoyed today's topic. Want to know more about this podcast and other VPC podcasts? Please visit the VPC website, vicparentscouncil.vic.com edu.au and leave a review. We would also welcome you to contact us if you would like to be our guest or if you have a topic around parenting and education. Thank you to Melbourne singer Emma Sydney for her permission to use her soundtrack, Cherish. Until next time, thank you for listening.